<laughs> Five-ish. Who's the ish? My dad. Oh. <laughs> so it's quite a big, uh, big operation then. Uh, I, I suppose for some farms, yeah. It's because we've just got so much going on, really. Different bits of diversification and stuff. So. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool. I've got two of them building a private dog walking field. Oh, you're going into that, are you? Yeah, and then I've got. One of them's been drilling and rolling, and the, and the other one's been spreading fertilizer for a neighbour. He's on his way about the yard, and then the dad's yeah. about the yard, causing chaos. <laughs> As I'm sure, yeah, they do, don't they? If he's not got yeah. the job, the um, yeah, I've heard quite a few people doing that dog walking field now. It's... I've been on with it for bloody ages, and it's only really like because of the with what's going on now and people not being able to go out. It's, I kind of think it needs to. I need to get it finished. Oh, yeah, yeah, and then get them booking their places. Yeah, you see, it's on a field that the United Utilities um, rented off me for 12 months while they did some building work, but they've overrun and they've messed me around, so I've, I should have had it ready last summer, really. Oh, okay, all right. So what's, so, what's going to go in there? Like, are you having, like... Just It'll just be grass. Uh, I'll put, like, an earth mound with a big tunnel underneath it, and then it'll just have a six-foot fence around it. Oh, right. So that so that they can't, you know, they can let the dogs off the lead and just let them run about and stuff without the worry of running off or whatever. Yeah, no, that's cool. Yeah, no, I, a few people in Wales that I know are looking into it. So um, I don't know how far they got um, before, you know, the last two weeks. So, <laughs> so yeah, everything seems to be on hold now. Well, normal life, farming life, obviously, isn't on hold, is it? No, it's it's quite good actually. It's like unchanged for us. Yeah, it's just every day, normal, normal stuff. Yeah, it's just an excuse to uh, not have to talk to people that just randomly turn up in the yard, mind, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no reps. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. So, yeah. Okay. So. Um, how long will it take, anyway? I don't, I don't know how long you said it take. Well, I, I don't know, really. Usually it's like half an hour. Some people talk for an hour. It just depends, <laughs> really. just depends uh, what you've got to say or where it goes, really. Right, so okay. um yeah um sorry i'm never really good at knowing where to start if i'm honest it's always like oh must feel a bit like <laughs> a bit funny um are you spraying at the moment are you there yeah yeah, yeah. so i'm just spraying off a field of uh well we, we drilled it with spring barley but it was supposed to be winter barley yeah and it, it's just crap so we're um, uh, starting again I've, I've, we've sown it with spring barley now and i'm putting a pre-emergent spray on with with some glyphosate mixed in with it so that it um, kills what little bits were growing so that we should end up with an even crop of spring barley, hopefully. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Yeah, that's the plan. Okay, so. let me just think. Right, okay. So uh, today I'm speaking to Ollie. Um, I met Ollie, I think it was last year, at um, in Derby, actually, with the NFU Education Day. Ollie was there... Um, talking to the youngsters about crops and pollination and uh, with a the group they'd come up with this really cool idea of the balloons were um, I think the seeds and there were sticky notes of pollination and lots of balls and balloons being thrown all around the classroom and then last week I saw Ollie on LinkedIn I think you were being you shared a video that you were being interviewed by your local news station um, is that yeah. correct? And you were just talking about um, the weather and crops and all of that sort of thing. Is that correct? Yeah, so, so basically our local news, BBC 
news of uh, it's about half six at tea time. It's normally on. They they've been sort of following me for about twelve months. So every time I'm doing something interesting, I'm supposed to tell them what I'm doing, and they they come out and sort of film it happening. So it was a bit bit strange last time though because we uh, obviously uh, this social distancing thing. All the footage of like in the cab with me, I had to film on the iPhone and airdrop to them across the across the field, and then they, they interviewed me through um, FaceTime. Ah, okay. From one end of the field to the other, so that they didn't have to put a microphone on because they were worried about they didn't know where the microphones had been last time they used them and different things like that. <laughs> yeah. So, how did you get involved with the local BBC News then? Uh, I'm not so sure, really. I mean, originally, I think I did something for the NFU. He wanted to speak to a farmer about. I think it was the bad weather. It's normally the bad weather. They always like like a, a good weather story. Yeah. So, he, he came out and then. So I think it was too wet and then it was too dry or something like that. And they came back and then did something come up about neonicotinoid seed dressing and I'd been talking to the, the um, presenter that came out and about it all. And then when it came up on, on sort of like their news feed, they wanted to come out and talk to me again about it. And then he said it always went down well. So he then approached me and two other farmers and said, can we can we sort of do a bit of a thing where for 12 months we we talk about what's going on on the farm and it, it's just gone from there really so i think it's probably just over 12 months now that they've been following me for but they, they seem to just want to keep it going because they like a nice outside story so they always turn up with drones and things like that and make make your fields look really big even when they're not <laughs> <laughs> makes you feel a lot better about the farming that you're doing seeing those drone pictures yeah it's so- it's, it's, it's it's cool fun it's it's awkward sometimes they, when they want to turn up at harvest and they're like, where are you going to be on like next Thursday? And you're like, well, we don't really know and we don't know what we'll be doing either. It depends on the weather. So I think last time they came out this summer, they wanted to film us combining and um, they couldn't get the drone that the producer could come. So they come the day before and film that. Not the producer, the presenter. And then the day that they came with the presenter, they wanted to do it live from the field. So we turned up at sort of 10 o'clock in the morning and it started raining. Oh, no. It it was such a windy day that we actually didn't stop because we we thought, well, we'll carry on so they can get some footage. And then it it just kind of kept blowing and these showers kept coming. But we we ended up that we had to park the combine up before they went live at half six because we'd we'd nearly finished the block of land we were on. (laughs) So So, we stopped for half an hour and had our tea and then, as soon as it went live, we had like two swipes of the combine left for just for the camera crew, and we did that. So, oh, yeah, I suppose that is the thing. I suppose they have to be adaptable to you, don't they? Because uh, you just don't know what's going to happen with the with the, the weather yeah. and how it affects they, everything. They've probably been out about 10, 10 times over the last sort of twelve months, so oh, that's pretty good. They, they kind of know how the farm works now as well, which is and they know where all the fields are as well. Yeah. So it, it, it works well. They can pitch up in the corner. We'll be doing something. They get all the shots they want from outside, and then, and then just come and come and speak to me about what we're actually doing. But it, it's been brilliant because the 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 Judy Hobson, the lady that does it, she really gets farming and understands it. So oh, fantastic! It's, it's, she puts it across really well to the to the general public about what's going on. So and what is the reaction from the public um, to the segments? Well. I don't really hear it, but apparently they do. I don't, I don't know where, they, where it comes from, whether it comes through Twitter or whatever, but they're like, oh, you know, the, the viewers love it when, when we're outside. Because a lot of the times when a local news crew's outside, it's normally stood outside a courthouse or something like that because <laughs> someone's been locked up. Yeah. 
you know, or, or there's been a robbery or a crime or something like that. So to be outside in, in the countryside and then, you know, generally, like, when she comes out, we'll, we'll make sure that it is something interesting that she'll be recording, whether it be, like, the first day out cutting or the first of the wheat or the drilling or something like that or the corn's just coming through. Yeah. They, you know, they, they, they've got something interesting. Yeah, so, like, I think in December they were out and we were walking around the field of wheat and it was a bit of a disaster, so... Was explaining what the wet weather had done and stuff, and, and it's just explaining what the fields are around people, really, isn't it? Well, yeah, because like uh, I suppose, like when, you know, as farmers, you, often, you know, you sort of take it for granted that you know what the crop is, and you can recognise it, and then just so many people don't know. They know it's a crop, but wouldn't necessarily certainly not know what it would be in its green state. Maybe when it reaches its harvestable state, they could recognise the difference of the years and things. But I think it's uh, yeah, it's really good that people are engaging with that and uh, that you're able to have that conversation with them via the news yeah i mean i remember one day it, it came out and we, we, we were drilling and we were i think we were spraying at the same time so we, we were filming both bits and i wasn't driving the drill at the time so we'd gone to the field and, and we were setting it up and I, I was just sort of like rooting down just to see how, how deep we'd put it and stuff and talking to adam that was on the drill and then you know the next thing they've got a camera pointing at me and she's like can you explain what you were just doing then I was there scratching in the soil, you know, trying to see the depth, and I was like, I'm just making sure we're not putting it too deep, but we're also putting it into some moisture, otherwise it won't come up. And she's like, oh, I never thought about that. Yeah. You're like, well, can, can we, can you do it again and we'll film you? <laughs> so, you remember what you said. Like you say, it's stuff you just take for granted, you know, you just hop off the tractor, have a quick look, kick it with your foot or, or bend down and have a bit of a scratch about the soil and jump back on and carry on or make an adjustment. And you, you don't realise, but... I suppose there's a bit of science behind it as well. Yeah, and I suppose it's one of those things like there is, there would be the science behind it because you've just, like, you've always farmed, haven't you? And you've grown up on the farm. It's just something you, again, it's one of those things you just pick up and you just sort of know, whereas you forget that other people don't or even why you're, you know why you're doing it, but it's just like why you're doing it like that as well, I think sometimes, isn't it? Yeah, so we, we were talking once about how dry it had been and how wet it had been and, you know, I, I I took a tape measure into the field and we were like, right, this is how, and pulled it out. I said, this is how much rain we've had in the last how many months. And it really visualised it then. And people understand when they say how many miller rain we've had. Oh, you know, when you add it all together, it, it's a lot. So, and when we had the drought, I, I filled some plastic bottles with water, and put mm. dye in it to show, you know, this is what we get in a normal year. This is how full the bottle would be. And this is what we've had now. And obviously there was... There was sod all in the bottle. And they're like, <laughs> can we take them back to the studio? And, and, and the presenters in, the, in the, you know, the studio have hold of them and explain before they come come to us live. So they were like, you know. Oh, that's really, yeah. Like that. But it's, it's trying to, you know, numbers are, are great, but unless you're an accountant, it can be boring. But if you can visualise it, it's obviously better, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. So where, like, do you get, you know, where did you get the idea to think, oh, let's put the water in the bottle? Because, um, you know, that's something, that's like really innovative way of thinking. Is that something to do with your upbringing or just how your brain works? It's probably because I'm dyslexic. That's probably ah. how I think about things a bit differently. Yeah. I yeah. know oh, that's uh, soft in the way, though. And that's, that's really good to say you're, yeah. Because a lot of people, the words and what have you just don't, aren't, you know, com- comprehensible. Whereas the visual is, is, yeah, works well, it, for everybody, actually, doesn't it? Well, they say a picture tells a thousand words. Well, you know, uh, that's me all over as soon as look at a picture or, or a video about something's gone wrong with the, the, 
try and read about it or whatever yeah yeah no I I, um, I used to teach and some of my students were really bad um, badly dyslexic but oh my god like just the skills they had and what they could remember and like their ability for maths I, math is my weakness and uh, they were just they would amaze me at what they were doing and the information they could retain um, it's, a, it's a gift being dyslexic yeah, no, I really think it is. Cause, like, so you have to, you do actually have to, you know, think differently, don't you? And you see things differently, which um, I, I don't think we have to think differently. I think we just do, and we just see yeah. things in a different way. Yeah, yeah, and then, and then that's really useful for, like, say that you know, working with telling the story via the news, isn't it? To that you are bringing that different aspect to it as well. The, the only problem with being dyslexic is it doesn't fit the national curriculum. No. No, not that, at that, all. They, they they can't measure it and they don't know what to do with it, and that that's the only difference. But and then, but, but out, outside of the school, it it's, doesn't hold you back at all. And if anything, it helps because it means that you will look at things from a different direction sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Think outside of that box. I think also school is only really for those sort of middle set who can like to be within that you know within that box, don't they? And then you've got the people either side who don't fit that mold, and that's where yeah, it's useful to. Um, well, have these different the, careers. The, the best staff I've ever had have all been dyslexic. Oh, really? And the best two dropped out of school at 15 as well. Oh, God, yeah. Some of the most successful people and the most, I don't know, they, again, they sort of left school um, at 15 and were very much saying yes to everything and just took opportunities and they're just so successful now and you just think, actually, yeah, <laughs> you don't need, necessarily need that degree. Unless you're going to yeah. be a brain surgeon, and then I think that's quite important. <laughs> so oh, I don't know. I think if you're a brain surgeon, you want someone that's good with their hands, or whether they can. Uh, <laughs> as long as they know what they're doing. Study English literature or add up, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think. No. So you're uh, you're actually in the tractor at the moment. So if people are listening and they sort of hear some of that background noise, you're actually in the tractor. It's obviously a very smooth tractor. You have got your seat set correctly because I can't hear you bouncing around at well, all. I, I, it's quite a flat field. I'm mean, actually in the sprayer, so it's, uh, oh. it's not an air seat, but it's oh, sometimes like, that over big bumps. But yeah, yeah, the sprayer. Uh, I'm just like I say, I'm just spraying this field of um, spring barley that we've just sowed, which should have been winter barley, but it's it's just rubbish and failed. So we're just cleaning up what had come through and what weeds, and then I'm putting a pre-emergent spray on the spring barley we drilled on Friday. Okay, and um, how are the crops going in now? It's dried off. They've gone in fantastic. I mean, we. we, we we worked one field up on Friday, you know, when it first came dry, so it was Friday afternoon, we worked it up and we, were, we didn't want to because we tried to direct drill as much as we can, but it capped off so heavily, it was supposed to be winter wheat, and it just rotted away and the slugs had eaten it, it was after rain, so we, we gave up on it, sprayed it off in, in an attempt to trying to drill it again in October, anyway, we never got the weather, so it's been left all year with nothing on it all winter, and the top inch was like concrete, so we were like, well, we're going to have to break it up a bit, but underneath was all a soggy mess, oh, nice. so we... Uh, Worked it up on the Friday. It was too wet to move in it. It was making a mess, and we're like, "Oh, well, we'll leave it over the weekend." By the time we got back on on the Monday morning, so it was a uh, fake like house bricks solid, and we were ended up ended up having to roll it to smash the lumps up, and then roll it again to keep the moisture in behind the drill because we were worried that there's no rain forecast for the next two weeks. Yeah, and we've still not had any significance since. I know. So, so we've will that be sort of a, a month or six weeks without any rain if it doesn't rain for another two weeks. Uh, no, I think we're about three weeks now. Aren't oh, we? is it? So that, yeah, yeah. Um, but there's, 
I mean, there's a chance of some sort of this coming Friday. Uh, I don't know what day you're going to broadcast this out or whatever you do with this, so. but there's a chance of three in three or four times he's getting some rain, but if we don't get it, that's um, you know, things will start looking a bit bleak, really. I know, it's, it seems to be like all or nothing, doesn't it? So we've had rain for pretty much a year, hasn't it? It sort of started last sort of May and didn't stop. And then now we've had these yeah, lovely so few weeks of dry. It started here in June. So when it when it did come dry sort of three weeks ago, we had, I think we had five consecutive dry days, which was the most dry days we've had since June 2018. Wow. In a row. Not yeah. 2019, 2019. 2019, yeah. <laughs> and uh, we're, I think we're about... I think we're about 11 days in we had half a mil sort of saturday morning but it didn't even dampen the dust i mean we, we couldn't see the difference like i think my car was parked on the yard and i moved it and left a little bit of a silhouette but within half an hour you couldn't even tell it yeah so. so you do do you um you know carry out irrigation and what have you where you are or do you usually have a good rainfall we, we normally have too much rainfall i mean we're we're only growing cereals, so they're not they're not a very high value crop that that could justify irrigation. There's probably okay. not enough, enough water about us really to, to do that. So, um, so yeah, you're we just, we just have to take what comes really. Yeah. So you've got that you you're growing wheat, barley, also rape, beans, and also sunflowers. Yeah. What are the sunflowers for? I don't know. Oh, <laughs> are they a it's crop, it. or are they for people to come like pick your own? It's it. I'll, it's a long story, but I suppose we've got time. About about four or five years ago, I got the opportunity to go to the Ukraine to talk to some farmers out there for a chemical company that wanted to educate farmers in the Ukraine how how we trade grain in the UK because out there it's quite a volatile sort of political climate, and Syngenta is selling them seed and fertilizer and sprays and things, and they want to get paid for what they sell. Yeah. But the currency is so unstable because they had a war and whatever, and it devalued like 300 percent or something in 12 months. So what they wanted to do was they wanted to sell them products or supply them with products free of charge in return for so many hundred ton of grain on like the first of August or the first of September. And and in that and what Syngenta would then do, they would take them grain, that grain contract, if you will, and sell it forwards on a like the USDA futures market. Yeah. So that would guarantee them a price on the day they committed the, the chemical because they would then have the physical grain. But people in the Ukraine don't understand futures market. They're very much like here and now, what we can get on the day. Whereas we're obviously quite, uh, what's the word, domesticated or, you know. <laughs> yeah. I just don't know what the word is. Controlled. Controlled. We're so, British, yeah. we like to queue, yeah. so we're like, yeah, you're queuing for your future prize. <laughs> yeah, so, so, so we look at the Ukraine and admire their black soils. Well, they look at our agriculture and think that we're well organised and, and we've got good supply chains. So this email went round a few of us in the NFU because I'm on the, the National Crops Board. And everyone went, oh, sod that, I'm not going there, there's a war on. Well, I was like, I want to go. <laughs> <laughs> Have an adventure. So, so I went there for a, for a week and went to visit all these different farms and went and spoke at these seminars how, how what I do in the UK and how I market my grain to try and install them some confidence in what Syngenta were trying to sell them and also they were trying to sell them as well insurance for the weather <laughs> so they could they could buy a, um, a fortnight block or three week block of, of insurance and if it didn't rain within that three weeks they would pay them out 
so if they could pick when they'd sow the corn or when they thought it was most vulnerable to drought stress and have some sort of insurance policy. Because right. again, you see, it helped Syngenta get paid if, if the farmers had a better cash flow. Yeah. So while I was out there, we, a friend of mine went with me as well, and we were travelling from the sort of like the east, right on the Russian border, to, to back to Kiev on the last day. And five-hour train journey cross-country, and you're looking out the window, and it's in January, and the fields are like thousands of acres, massive white fields full of snow. And they talked to the translator we had with us, and I was like, oh, my God, they look amazing, these fields. It's just like looking at a piece of paper. You know, the, the, like the, the train window was a piece of paper. It was so white outside. Yeah. And he said, oh, you want to see them in the summer when they're full of sunflowers? Anyway, I quickly realized when I come home, I wasn't going to get the opportunity to go back in the summer because I'm obviously busy in the summer. <laughs> yeah. And I had a field just across the road from the farmyard. It's only a five-acre bit. It's got hedges and trees all the way around it. And we'd had like an explosion of rabbits for some reason. They totally grazed this field to nothing. There was nothing left. So I thought, well, what could I do? So I'd been in pets at home a few weeks before, and I'd seen that you could buy sacks of sunflower seeds. Ah. Uh... About 12 quid. <laughs> so I thought, oh, sod it. I'm going to go in pets at home and get some sunflower seeds. So I went, to some, went and got three bags of sunflower seeds. And I bought like a five kilo bag of millet, which is like canary seed. It's like tiny seeds. Yeah. I thought, well, I'll drill off the field with sunflowers and off the field with, with well, it's millet, actually. And I'll just see what comes because, you know, if it grows, it grows. And I'll do it on a larger scale next year. So I went out, filled the drill up, drilled the sunflowers, drilled the millet. And um, the millet comes straight up. The sunflowers got eaten by slugs. It was quite thin. So I went and got a few more bags and drilled it again. And then sort of shut the gates really and didn't really go back in the field anyway there was obviously these sunflowers growing anyway by harvest there was this massive display of sunflowers yeah you know it it, it was only two and a half acres but it, it was incredible it's so beautiful sight isn't it yeah so I, I just went taking some pictures in there and stuff and i put some pictures on facebook and this is where it gets complicated now you've got to listen <laughs> so my friend's wife linda saw these pictures of these sunflowers and she's like oh my god you know that you know they're, they're amazing um, can i have some and i just jokingly said yeah yeah 10 pound a bunch how many do you want so she said i'll have two bunches um. anyway another friend's wife nick's nick's wife amanda then commented and said oh my god you know they're, they're unbelievable can i have some as well now at the time amanda had breast cancer and she'd gone through chemo and lost her hair and stuff. And I'd not really seen much much of the pair of them because you never know when's a good time to call. You know, she'd been really ill. Yeah. So I said, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll bring you some round if, you, you know, if you're up to visit us. You're in tomorrow. So she said, yeah, yeah, I'm in, yeah. So I got the biggest bunch of sunflowers I could fit in the back of the car. <laughs> Went round the next day. She's like, oh, my God, they're amazing. And, like, some of them are the size of dinner plates, some of the sunflowers, like. Yeah. So... She was made up, and it, her husband Nick's obviously chatting to me as well, and he's like, well, what the hell is how many of these have you got? And I went, well, I don't know. There's two and a half. You know, there's, there's a hectare of them, 10,000 square metres, you know. There's probably so many square metres. You know, I think there's about uh, 70,000 of them, possibly. I don't know. So he's like, what the hell? So he's, he's on his phone, and he's like, they're £30 a bunch of Marks and Spencers, you know. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. I was like, oh, right, yeah. I said, like, I've got time to do the harvest. And I said, we're too busy cutting wheat. 
So anyway, I, I had a brew or whatever, and I'm on my way home, and it was the time Michael Gove took over as an environment secretary. Yeah. And it was all this public money for public good. So I'm thinking to myself, I'm well, I can't pick them all, and but they have got this huge value. So I thought, I wonder would people buy them to live in the field, to, to, to leave everyone they bought, I wouldn't harvest, and I'd leave it in the field. And then the birds could eat it over winter, because like winter food, yeah. there's obviously the millet there as well. I thought, you know, that might be a good idea. But I thought, well, they, they probably wouldn't give it to me, but they might give it to a charity, the money. So that afternoon I'm shopping and I'm just thinking to myself, and it, I thought, well, I need to find a charity that it fit to. So I, I typed in Google, uh, Sunflowers Liverpool Charity. Next thing, a website pops up. Liverpool Sunflower Cancer Care Charity. Oh. <laughs> it's like, how, how ironic is that? You know, you couldn't make this stuff up. Yeah. So I, I clicked on the face the, the website, and then I clicked on the Facebook page. And that evening, they were having a, chal- a charity salsa night. And I thought, and Linda, who first asked for these bunch of sunflowers, and I said £10 a bunch, did salsa dancing. So I clicked on it, and it's like people that are attending. She was one of the people going. Yeah. And it turns out that's what she wanted the bunches of sunflowers for. It was oh. a raffle prize for this charity. Anyway, I hadn't picked them that day because I, I, I hadn't had chance. And anyway, they never got the raffle prize. But that, that evening, I just put on Facebook, I've come up with this idea. Does anyone know how I can do it? Raise money for this, this charity with this field of sunflowers. You know, people will buy the sunflowers and then they leave them in the field. The birds are eating over winter and the, and the, the money can go to this charity. Anyway, a mate of mine, he, he's, he's done different things in the past. Went, oh, yeah, it's dead easy. They've got, they're on Just Giving. Oh, Go yeah. on Just Giving, set up an account, say it's going to them, put a bit of a blurb of what it is and what how it works, and that's that. So I did it all on my phone. It took me bloody five minutes. Anyway, I went to bed. Next morning I woke up. I'd raised 550 quid while I was asleep. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Because everyone had shared this link and decided to donate and buy these flowers. So the charity the next morning had tracked me down and were ringing me up going, my God, I can't believe what you've done. We, we had a charity salsa dance last night. We only raised 300 pounds and it took, it took three months to organize. <laughs> you've done it in five minutes. And you've done it in five minutes while you've been asleep. So... This was, I think, on like the Sunday morning. So on the Monday morning, I rung up our local NFU, sort of like press guy, communications advisor, whatever you call it, for the Northwest. I said, look, come up with this good idea. You know, I want some promotion for it, for this charity. You know, and it's good. It's nice public image for farming and whatever. And um, hopefully, you know, it'll take off. The RSPB might be all over it because it's... Yeah, definitely. And all this. So anyway, he came out that day and he took some pictures of me in the field and we had a cherry picker so we went up in that and I just stood in the middle of the field and you can barely see me it's like where's Wally <laughs> but like where's Ollie? Called it, where's Ollie <laughs> so he, he took all these pictures and, and sent it to NFU head office as a, as a press release anyway they said oh that's brilliant but like next Tuesday the state of nature report's coming out and it's going to be having a go at farmers saying that they were rubbish and all this that and the other that. we're going to save it and we're going to put it out that day so I was like, all right, okay, whichever, don't mind. So the next week, I'm in London for a crops board meeting, and it was also what we call the Back British Farming Day, which, funnily enough, was, was designed to coincide with the day the State of Nature report come out to try oh, okay. and sort of like put out some good news stories about British agriculture rather than the 40 years out of date stuff that the uh, <laughs> they bring out. Nature reports on. So I, 
So I'm in London at dinner time, um, and we've gone and met some MPs at this this sort of back British farming day. And ITV National News ring me up going, oh, we've heard your story about your sunflowers. Can we come and film you now? And I'm like, I'm in London. And they're like, oh, okay then, all right. Anyway, sure enough, the next the next day when I'm home, it's it's old news, isn't it? So that, so that was that. But a lot of local newspapers picked it up, and then BBC picked it up and came to film me on the following Monday. So they put it on sort of like at dinner time in the evening and, and, and at night. Oh, wow. It, 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 um, every time it was on the telly, it went up by about a £1,000. Oh. So in the end, with the sort of the uh, the gift aid and whatever, it raised about eleven thousand quid. This this two and a half acres of sunflowers. Oh, that's amazing. And the RSPB did nothing. They didn't even retweet any of the things I sent them. They didn't even acknowledge it was happening. And it was at that point I realised that charities is big business, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They, they didn't want to promote anyone else to give money to another charity other than their own. So I learned <laughs> I learned a lesson then about charities. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's very true. So are you doing this, and is it the Sunflowers again for the same charity this year? Yeah, so the year after, I, I, did, a, I did a few, I don't know, I think I did about six acres the next year, but it wasn't quite as good a show, and it, we, it was, I think it was that the year that we had the drought. Yeah, was it? Year before last, yeah, 2018? Yeah, well, well, 2018, actually, the plan was, no, sorry, the year after, I did sort of a similar size field, but this Loves at them and it wasn't that good a show and the spring was a bit awful. The year after that, I ramped it up and I put 20 acres in. <laughs> and the idea was then was uh, it was going to be I got Syngenta to sponsor me some seed. Yeah. The, the idea was it was going to be a, um, a maze. So we grow 20 acres off. I'm going with a mower, mow a maze into the field. The charity would then sort of like charge people to get lost in the maze and take pictures and stuff. Yeah. And then afterwards i'd harvest what was left for, for the seed anyway it was the drought so the sunflowers were only about 18 inches tall. <laughs> they, they, were, they were really poor show so Aww. it didn't really do anything no so yeah that, that was that really so, but so I've, I've grown them every year but i've not really figured out how to make any money out of them yet apart from i have been collecting all the honey off them each year oh have so you I've got, a, I've got a plan for that so have you yeah. got your own bees or have you do you have someone else bring the hives? No, I, I met the guy through Twitter who's a, oh. who's, a, who's a beekeeper, the Happy Valley Bee Company or something he calls himself. So yeah. he comes down with these. He started off as a hobby, but he said he's taking over his life. <laughs> I know. I think uh, beekeeping it seems to be a massive thing at the moment and all that lovely honey. Yeah, so he, he comes and brings his hives, but he moves around the sunflowers and the oilseed rape and the beans and yeah. and, the, and the, some of the cover crops that are grown like that. Um, flowering cover crops as well yeah there's so. um someone um a farm up the road from where i am in warwickshire and he um uh was growing yeah field of sunflowers but he would do it as a pick your own so he... yeah well that that was sort of the plan a bit really with the uh with the maze you, you know you half of it would be there'd be paths all the way through it mm. but if people wanted to to buy them and take them home so long as it didn't spoil the pattern yeah that that would be what we'd, we'd have done you see yeah. So, Are you going to do it again this year? Well, yeah. I mean, it, it's, uh, it's it could be quite interesting this year. I, the BBC Green Planet are filming a program, and they've got in touch with me wanting to put a time lapse camera in a field of corn. Oh wow! To, to film this this field of corn growing, and I was like, yeah, yeah, not a problem. And they're like, you don't know anyone that grows sunflowers, do you? And I was like, well, funnily enough, you're talking to the right person. <laughs> yes. So I was going to grow them anyway, and anyway. Um, I'm going to throw the kitchen sink on this year because there's a chance that David Attenborough might be coming to do some filming in them in September. Oh, wow. We've well, definitely got to do them then. 
so yeah it's all what happens with this bloody corona stuff obviously oh, course, depends on yeah. now and, yeah. and how good they grow and stuff or whether they ditch me and go to like South America and find a better field I don't know but well hopefully um, yeah. I'm going to make sure it's a good show of them this year <laughs> <laughs> yeah. if it means getting David Attenborough on your farm yeah definitely I know I'd love to meet him he's, oh, so. he's amazing well, I, man I know, I know what the BBC are like. They're like, they have an idea one minute and then drop it the next. Or oh, just, okay. Yeah, they just, they kind of like use the, the weight of being a big broadcaster to try and get people to do them favours and then they just drop you when they want. So oh. <laughs> <laughs> You're learning. So, yeah. um, you know, like you've had these sort of opportunities with the media and things. Has that come through being on the NFU um, arable or crop board, sorry? Uh the first time it was just really the guy in the local nfu office they wanted someone to talk about the weather and he knew he knew we'd been massively affected and that and that was that really and then different things i've done like cheshire show and stuff they were there filming once at cheshire show and i did something live one morning there so you you kind of get to know them and then you'll often be watching the news and suddenly you'll think that's my tractor they've obviously got all this stock footage that they they chop up and rehash whenever they want so oh yes of course they're quite lazy, I think, reporters. So once they once they've got a phone number for someone, they just they just kind of ring you up. But I don't mind it as as, as long as uh, as long as it don't make me look silly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you're you're uh, you're close to Liverpool, like are you? And you just on the outskirts? Yeah. Or? Well, that's it. So obviously, for us, media cities in Manchester. Yeah, so it's an so easy drive. Twenty five minutes up the motorway, and the the here you see. So I, I think that's another reason why why they pick on me a bit. So. Yeah, and also you must be like amenable to you know what they want to do and stuff and helpful and things. So you know it sort of does make their job easy, doesn't it, to have someone that is willing to let them on and help them. Probably, and... That's probably my dyslexia again. So when they turn up with a camera, I like right, put it there. I said, and we're going to drive within an inch of it with a tractor. It look brilliant, and it does. Yeah. <laughs> Take the risks. So, yeah, <laughs> it's not so your I'm camera. Not, I'm, I'm no photographer or anything like that, but um, I'm messing around with bloody iPhones and. GoPros on tractors and stuff in the past that I know what I look good and exciting so yeah oh that's and that's really you know why they would want to keep coming back as well yeah you did you know they you, you just tell them where to be and they, it, it looks good afterwards so yeah exactly so um what opportunities has been on the NFU board brought you has it brought you any opportunities or just lots of conferences and you know meetings um, and things and it, doesn't really bring your opportunities but you, you you're obviously like right in the know of anything that's coming up or going to be happening and you know trying to steer the kind of the debate with, with with government and different things you know there's for my business it it I don't know i'm just when, when you read stuff in the press or online it's always like a few days after it's sort of happened and mm. we've been involved with the nfu you're obviously hearing it when it's happening yeah so you know i'm a, I mean, I did, I did do a thing a few years ago with it, with the NFU, which I advise anyone to do if they get the opportunity. Was what they call the Serials Development Program. Yeah. So um, the guy that was our local uh, NFU crops board representative wanted to retire, and no one was kind of up for doing it. So they, they got me to do this course on the Serials Development Program. You had to apply, but I don't think anyone else did the year <laughs> I applied. And we looked at the uh, the cereal industry from from plant breeding right up to Warburton's making bread and different things. Yeah. So it gives you a really good insight into the industry outside of, of just growing the stuff. Yeah. And that was um, interesting. It, it was sponsored by at the time, and I think it still is actually when they, when they still do it, 
company called Openfield, who we've traded grain with for years. So I got to know them a little bit better. Obviously, we were just a customer to them, and I got to know them a bit more. And then um, they rung me up one day. I'd said to them, I'm thinking of putting a grain store up. Um, do you want any grain store in near Liverpool? So I might put a bigger one up. So if you know if there's any opportunities, and they actually rung me up and said, Yo, you think they're doing a store? Do you want to do one? And I'm like, Yeah. So how how big a store do you want to build? And I was like, Well, how big do you want it? And they went one, two, three thousand ton. We built a three and a half thousand ton store. Oh, wow. and, um, I've been storing grain from now for sort of five or six years. So that works really well, and it's an opportunity that kind of arose as close to the contacts within the NSU and different things. Yeah. But it, obviously, my location was perfect, and like the last, the sort of the last farm before you're into Liverpool, really. So we store oilseed grain, which is a big processing plant in Liverpool. Oh, is there? So it, it's a cooperative of farmers, so a lot of the neighbours bring theirs into us as well, and obviously the own goes in there. So have you always? Um... I mean, is it sort of a family trait or is it sort of your trait to be, you know, open to opportunities and sort of seeing these things just from like just speaking to you now and, you know, thinking, oh, do you want to store grain and oh, bring the news, do that, you know, apply for that. You know, is that your trait? Is that a family trait or? Apparently it's my granddad on my mum's side. I get it off. Oh, <laughs> you've traced it back. Oh. Well, she says you're just like. I mean, I, I was only about six when he died, but apparently I'm just like him. Yeah, it sounds <laughs> like looking a... for an opportunity and something. Yeah, so. and were you always like that as a ch- were you like that as a child as well? You know, like work, working around the farm and seeing those opportunities, or you know, trying I to sell things to kids at school. Easiest, easiest way of doing something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's so, it. Yeah, yeah. So just, just I don't know. It's just me. <laughs> yeah, just you. Um, and we've just sort of mentioned the weather a bit. So obviously we've had like a horrendously wet year before that. We had a really dry year. What um, what are the challenges that you face as an arable farmer with that? And how do you address those? Just juggling the overdraft, isn't it, really? <laughs> yeah. Good bank. I mean, you, there's nothing we can do about the weather, is that? That no. is the, the only you know, that's our biggest determining factor. And I know everyone was getting dead excited about leaving Europe and stuff, but I was like, no matter what happens, nothing has a bigger effect on us other than the weather for, for profitability or cash mm. flow or yield. So well, we can't do anything about that. I mean, the only thing we can do is try and make, make our soils more resilient, which is why, you know, we try to no-till as much as we can. So the, the ground will hold water better and store it longer in, in dry spells. Yeah. Some years... It's near impossible because we'll, you know, it'll be so wet we'll make a mess harvesting. Yeah. Like last year we made a mess harvesting corn that, that now we're having to do corrective cultivations to, which we wouldn't normally like to do, but it's just doing the minimum really and, and trying to get the soils more resilient, build up more organic matter into them through cover crops and different things. Yeah, I was just going to say, are you sort of treating the soils with more care these days than maybe sort of, you know, previous farmers would have done because obviously you know sort of the 70s wasn't it? it was like just get the crops out and spread the furt and what have you and move away from maybe crop rotations and putting back in that organic matter yeah that's it i mean it was just like if there's a problem you just threw diesel metal at it well yeah um, that that's can work it's costly and it, it doesn't really help with the resiliency in the extreme years so this is what you know this is why we're trying to direct drill more than we can plus you know, I, I like being efficient. I like going in the field, just doing one operation, everything's done. Yeah. I don't like going in and spending a day ploughing it and another day working it down and drilling it and then whatever. I just 
just see it as a waste of time. Mm. So we, we sort of stopped ploughing in 2004. I imported yeah. a spading machine from Holland, yeah. which is a bit a bit like a plough, but you can put a drill on the back of it and it's three metres wide. So in 2004, I got one of them, then I ended up getting another one. And we just, just used to do that, like total one-pass drilling. But we were still moving a lot of soil, so I got interested in no-till through the farming forums. And I... Um, I wanted to go further, so that's that's where we. So I, I bought a no-till drill, went straight into it. Yeah. The soil structure wasn't ready for it, and it yields declined. So we ended up then just taking a step backwards and buying a, a claydon drill. Okay. Which is like strip till and, and, and sort of doing that. The problem was that worked every year, and we kind of got a bit lazy, and we ended up using that every year rather than really pushing a bit further and trying to get the agronomical benefits of moving less soil. Yeah. So anyway, the last sort of two or three seasons we've had a we've upgraded our old no-till drill into a, a john deere 750a if anyone knows it which is regarded as one of the best no-till drills for uk conditions and we've oh, gone right. down that route we literally like that is always our first choice unless we have to do anything else uh for beans we still use the clay because it's fantastic it's so in beans because of the, just the way the, the legs and the cultures work on it yeah so and have you um like are your soils in a better condition now? I mean, how long did it take to get the soils to the right conditions, do you think? To I, get back to those they're yields? Just, they're, just, they're just always improving, really. I mean, the field I'm in at the moment now was ploughed for years and then it got left for a long time. It used to flood and whatever. It's really urban fringe and guys give up on it. Someone bought it speculatively and didn't farm it. And I, I reclaimed it all. And it used to be a terrible wet mess and it's kind of been no-till now for, I don't know, getting on 10 years now. And it, it's just, I mean, it, it's like a honeycomb now. It, it <laughs> rains and it just, just disappears through it. And yeah. you can drive on it in any conditions. You know, I mean, this is partly the reason why it, um, it's got a failed crop of winter barley because we could get on sowing, but we shouldn't have been. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it was too late. If we'd have been two, three weeks earlier, we'd have probably been all right. But it was like, well, it won't go in the bag. We'll try it. Yeah. So just took that. But, to... You know, some of the rain that we've had over the last this winter it literally never got never got a minute to get any oxygen or breathe it just was yeah, constantly just, waterlogged just you couldn't see it because it was soaking in but it you know it was it was obviously all there yeah so. um yeah. so one of the questions i asked you just like previously um before us talking was what makes a farmer and you have replied op- optimistic so what like in a bit more depth you know what does that mean to you what does that optimism and where does that come from or what do you need to be optimistic about she's got to be optimistic <laughs> i mean you know what what other business would would drop something on the floor and expect it to produce something more you know it's it's, it's crazy the, 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 the when you think of farming really you know it, it you, you're totally at the mercy of the gods aren't you of what weather you're going to get yeah especially for yeah desirable farmers aren't you you know you, you i mean it must be great to, to have poultry farm or, or a greenhouse or something where you can actually control the environment but you know we're, we're going out we're dropping something on the floor putting it in the soil as best we can we're hoping that it's going to get some rain we're hoping it's going to get some sunlight we're hoping we're going to get some dry weather to harvest it yeah and then and then we're hoping that we can sell it for a profit yeah you know and, and this whole cycle sort of two years of start to finish it can be two years and before you've realized whether there's been profit in your first crop you've you've then started investing and gambling on your second crop i mean you've got to be an optimist and i suppose you've got to be a gambler as well haven't you 
yeah no definitely I've never sort of thought of it like that actually it's that sort of certainly the gambling side of it but it is really isn't it and um but it's also I suppose it is that you mentioned hope quite a lot but that but it's you know believing that it will happen isn't it and believing that you know you're putting the crop in the ground but then nature is taking it over to grow itself and what have you isn't it so there's that belief in that as well yeah I mean I mean someone once said to me I think I was about 23 or 4 at the time he went I've been farming all my life and he was in his 60s and he said I know two years have been the same and I've remembered what he said and he, he's bloody right no two years have been the same ever since he said that to me when you think about it every year has been different Yeah. and every year you put a crop and you're hoping for that perfect season and I thought I thought last year we were getting it to be honest yes. we had perfect drilling conditions after like a terrible harvest that come after a terrible autumn and winter so wet and I thought yeah perfect crops this time of year they look stunning at you know high hopes and then it just started raining in, in June and didn't stop. stop yeah I mean yields weren't too bad but they could have been a lot better from what what the crops look but then you just start all over again don't you yeah yeah and I think because I you know as as humans we we always sort of just try and uh, we like remember the best you know like certainly you know when you remember your summer holidays as being a youngster it was full of sunshine and running around fields and playing and what have you but the reality is it probably rained for most of August and uh, you're a bit bored and what have you and it's a bit like that with farming is that you just sort of remember the oh yeah we had a really good year and when you start looking at your diaries or your you know the rainfall um, data what have you it's like actually it was bloody wet or <laughs> whatever so um, it's uh um yeah you have to remember the good years are you there i've lost you hello hi yeah uh, um someone rang me and it just kind of cut cut off to them straight away i think it's because we're on air uh, oh that's all right doing the audio. yeah <laughs> sorry about that it's okay I happened the other week when I was doing one of these, my mum rang and she kept ringing me. It's just like, go away. She's just like, all right. Yes. Um, <laughs> excellent. Okay. Um, Lost our thread now. Haven't yeah, we? <laughs> yeah. So you probably be like, ah, because I just carried on talking, but I can't go back and listen because I'll stop the recording. Okay. Um, yeah, I've lost, completely lost my thread. Okay. About being an optimist, yeah. So, what does uh, farming mean to you then, from that personal level? What does it mean to you? I don't know. I just enjoy being outside. I like, I like the machinery. It's, uh, you know, some people farm because they like working with animals. Mm. I don't at all. <laughs> you know, um, it's definitely two camps, aren't there? Yeah, I, I like big machinery and efficiencies and like big pictures and landscapes so you know you, you go in a field and it's you know i mean the one i'm in now it's like 100 acres and oh, wow. you pull it in the morning and it looks one one color with whatever you're doing and in the afternoon it's a different color yeah you know or you've got another combine and totally leveled it you know it's just yeah. it's very satisfying the, isn't the satisfaction it? and being able to stand back and see the achievement yeah yeah so were you like one of those like lads at school that used to stare out the window and every time a tractor drove past and uh, you'd have oh, yeah. have I your favourite colour? <laughs> yeah. So what 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 colour are your tractors? Um, we we for years we had Valtras, which are made in Finland. Which oh, right. you could have any colour you wanted. Although I always used to 
to get the metallic green. Yeah. But, um, we we ended up running a fence because it was it just was the right price at the time, and then ended up really basically running all fence until until last year. I um, I managed to buy one of the farms we were renting, so to economise a bit, I was swapping one of my big fence for one a bit smaller because I didn't really need that much power. It was just a expensive luxury yeah and I, I got a demonstration of a, of a jcb fast track oh okay was really impressed they've come a hell of a long way so uh, ended up buying one of them and saving 700 pound a month oh wow to what, what it had been for getting a fence yeah so we've got a fence and a fast track and then land that works me he he has a job here that he uh, he he's sort of self-employed if you will and charge me five o'clock hour yeah so he's got his yeah ownership. so it's a bit of a bit of a mixed fleet now yeah. i do like being a I do like the fast track though because I feel patriotic when I'm driving. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Has it got a British flag painted on it somewhere? Well, funnily enough, they did a, a Guy Martin special edition, didn't they, where they put uh, flags yeah. on, the, on the back corners and they made 25 of them. Um, I wanted to buy a number one, but it had already been sold, so I said I'd have number 25, but I think they sold that as well, so oh. it actually hasn't got any flags on it now. You'll have to go and get a stencil and uh, paint your own. <laughs> yeah, we don't really keep them that long, to be fair. Oh, you don't? We only, uh, I don't like putting tyres on things or running things out of warranty. Yeah. So they, uh, they stay until the warranty's running out and then... Uh, and then they get moved on. Yeah. So, so did you um, did you always want to be a farmer? Was it like just something right from a child? You just knew that that was what you were going to yeah, do? That or a rally driver. Uh. <laughs> I didn't have the money to be a rally driver though. So I, I, did, I did have a rally car and I still got it. It did do <laughs> a bit, but uh, it was an expensive hobby. Yeah. <laughs> But that needed lots of new tyres. Yeah, but I did think that, that jetting around the world and uh, it'd, be, it'd be a nice way to see the world. I think being a rally driver. Oh, yeah. I I like the thought of having a go at rally driving, but I would the navigator. If I had to be the navigator, I would. Well, I wouldn't be even able to get in the car. So, <laughs> just me. I'd, uh... I did. I did once get the chance before nine eleven to sit in the cockpit of a plane landing at uh, Gatwick Airport. Oh my god. Um, I wanted to be a pilot for about a month after that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh wow, that would be, and that would just have been amazing, to get yeah. to see that happening. Well, they'll all be bored now, won't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They're all uh, literally, yeah, not going anywhere, are they? Bless them. Uh, so, uh, you know, if someone was interested in farming, what would what would be your sort of advice to them, of sort of getting into it or? Uh, don't listen to the teachers. <laughs> no, it's just yeah. Well, um, no. <laughs> I don't know. I think probably the easiest way to, to is to um, is to join young farmers. You know, because mm. like some of the lads that work for me, they're they're not from farming backgrounds, and you know they they, they both join young farmers and, and got to sort of know me. I mean, I'm, I'm obviously older than them, but yeah, they, they were wanting work, and I you know gave them jobs because I could see potential in them. So I'd, I think I think that's probably one of the easiest routes, and obviously agricultural college is another one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. What was that potential you saw in those two lads then? Uh, willingness to work, I suppose, and, mm. and they, you know, they weren't academic, so that meant that they were they had other skills, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting, really. So, sorry, I need to drink water. I've been talking nonstop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So one of the lads that works for me, um, he wasn't very good at school at all, and, and his school sent him one day a week to, to an agricultural college. Oh, yes, yeah. And 
anyway, he, he then went working for a local authority driving a mower for two years and then, and then came working for me in the end. And I've been helping out with a local agricultural college with different things and been talking to students and stuff. And they, they came for a farm visit, all the lecturers. Mm. And when they turned up, they couldn't believe it was the same the same lad that used to come to them at 15. Yeah. That was now sat in this tractor with four different screens in it. One controlling the GPS, one controlling the fertiliser spreader, one controlling the hydraulics. And um, obviously oh, one was an iPad doing the variable rate for the for what he was supplying fertiliser-wise. Mm. You know, it, it, it just shows you he, he, he wasn't very good at reading or writing, but he, uh, he could drive a fence with all the bells and whistles on <laughs> Yeah. And that's what I mean where I said earlier, you know, you saying about your dyslexic and my the students I had, just the ability that often at school, because they're not in that that box, they get forgotten or, you know, I, I used to teach some of those lads that, you know, came the one day from school and just their ability um, and willingness and what have you. And um, again, we couldn't believe, you know, the reports that we'd get from school about them and just like, it's not the same kids, you know, just because they were being given the opportunity and they were being given um, the trust as well to sort of, you know, you go and do that, you go on that tractor, you do that, you help move these livestock. It helped them grow in confidence and um, really made them stand that bit taller. And I think I think that's it. It's the trust. So I, another lad that works for me again, he, you know, he was a bit naughty in school, and um, I think he used to get bullied because his mum was a teacher. Yeah. He he, I think, well, he got expelled at fifteen, and um, his granddad helped him buy a tractor for his sixteenth birthday, <laughs> and he was kind of going out contracting and stuff. But he got a reputation being a young lad and a bit rough and a bit quick. And he he asked me, did they have any work? And he, he come working for me, and. And I, I trusted him with, with jobs that older people would normally do. Yeah. And he respected the fact that I trusted him and he didn't mess up and he didn't go like a bat out of hell and he, he you know, and he wanted to do the best job. And now he's, 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 he's a brilliant and he's, he's actually got a bit of OCD now when you send him to do something. <laughs> he, he wants everything perfect. You know, and Straight he'll, lines. he'll tell the lads off if they're not doing something quite right or they're doing it too quick. And it's because I put the trust in him. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't treat him as just a young lad. You know, I treated as him if he was he was going to be capable of doing it. Yeah. And it, you know, it's paid me back in in, in bucket loads. And he, I mean, he wants a good rate of pay now, but he, he deserves it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that that's just so important is putting that trust in these youngsters um, and giving them the opportunities as well, um, which I think is just yeah so important. Um, and it's great that you did that, that you, you know, took these two lads and have helped them and saw that potential in them as yeah, well. Yeah, I mean, another lad that worked for us, he, he, he just didn't like school and just didn't used to go. And um, <laughs> I, I, rung, I knew he lived up the road, his mum had a riding stables, and we were short of someone to clean some trailers out ready for combining, and we were doing other jobs, and I rung him up and said, do you, want, do you want some work? Do you want to clean these trailers out? Anyway, he did it that quick. The next thing he was out, Ted and hay, and then the next day he was carting grain, and then, well, he, he worked for me then for about ten years until he started his own business. He just, you know, yeah, great. He, he come with the young lad down the road that could probably about work a pressure washer, but in the end, he ended up driving the combine and everything, spraying yeah. a lot, you know. And he he he'd grown up around machinery because his, his dad had a JCB and stuff, and he just it's like a duck to water, just could mm. drive and do anything. And and that's the thing, those that, are, that aren't academic. They, they can generally drive things and, and operate things. Yeah, they can. And they can see um, 
and see how it works as well yeah they just can sort of see how well that's not working because that all that needs to happen for that to happen just because of that the way the brain works isn't it and uh, that's yeah. that's invaluable and like you know like oh that needs mending again like some of these lads that i taught you just oh god that's broken what do we do and then they'd be on it and you'd be like there it's done and you're like oh okay well we'll carry on then and, well, well that's it any fool can drive a tractor it's fixing mm. what's on the front of it or the back of it or or whatever it is when it goes wrong and, and in reality if you were if you were going to run a farm and start from square one and you, you wanted to recruit people the best thing you could do is recruit recruit mechanics teach them how to drive a tractor <laughs> yes oh my god that's then, so true that should be written somewhere <laughs> I, I know a guy he, he was the logistics manager for williams formula one. Oh yeah and he was you know his job was obviously to recruit um wagon drivers and, and the likes for, for for going all around the world with the formula one team but part it's like a circus to get there they've got to set stuff up yeah take stuff down it, they've got to be practical they've got to like work daft hours and understand deadlines and he only recruited people out of the Farmer's Garden or the Scottish Farming Magazine. Oh, wow. He said, lads that come off farms, get it. Yes. You go and recruit a wagon driver, they just go to A to B with a piece of paper and don't have a clue. Yeah. But but he said, lads that have worked around farms, they, they understand deadlines and when things have to be done, and that's like us with the weather. Yeah. You know, if we know it's going to rain on Friday or it's going to rain in two hours, it's just that... It's that rush, you know, to, to get stuff done. And it is a little bit like rally driving, really. You'll be mm. like, right, you know, we're just going to get it done. And then you'll have a breakdown and you've got to, like, go even harder or change tack to, you know, to get finished. Yeah. It's just it's what they have to do when they come off the road and get back on or have a puncher. <laughs> yeah, no. It's just a bit slower, though, isn't it? The track, well, now you've got your fast track, you might be getting up to some of those rally speeds. <laughs> Not quite the uh, the same speed that they're going at. No, no, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, yeah. I just really like those insights. That yeah. Um, I, that's why I'm always just so impressed with people that do work in agriculture and farming, the skills and what have you, and just you know, like meeting the deadlines and things. What you just said about Williamson um, Formula One hiring people from farms, just because you know they just get stuff done, pull together, make sure the job's done, work till the deadline. Yeah, and that's yeah. Uh, what always impresses me so much. Right, well, I um, will say thank you very much for your time because I know you are a busy man. You've got to probably get to another field or something, or go and well, fill the sprayer up. <laughs> are, you, are you still there? We didn't really talk about any divers. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear Hello. you. You there? Yeah, Sorry. I'm there. Are you there? Yeah, 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 I'm here again. Now. You, I don't know what happened there. No, just maybe gone out of signal. No, yeah, that's good. Um, no, I was just saying that that's that's fine because I like that's about an hour now. So. All oh, right. Okay. Yeah, we didn't even talk about half the diversification to do either, did we? No, no. You you can just tell me though, because. Uh... Well, we I, I didn't like cows, so we um, we I did converted them buildings into office space. Oh, did you have, were you milking before or something then? No, beef cattle. Oh, okay. So, um, tell you what, it's a bit bad for signalling. I'll try and drive back to the yard while you're on that street. Yeah, no, it was, uh, I I wasn't into cows, so I got rid of them and converted the brick buildings that were into office space because that paid better. Yeah. And that was kind of the first sort of bit of money I ever really borrowed. And it gave me the confidence then to realise that, you know, if there's an opportunity there to make money, it doesn't matter about borrowing money to do it. Mm. So, did that. Um, we did it 
and when a, this opportunity come up for storing this grain, I thought, well, I'll tell you what, rather paint, what rather pay to, you know, what, I've just been someone painting a fence. I've just said paint as, as I'm talking to you. Ra- rather than pay to put the shed up, I thought, well, what I'll do is I'll I'll put I'll buy some solar panels, and the, the money from the solar panels will pay for the shed. Oh yeah. So I got a price for putting all these solar panels on the sheds that we had, and, and this new shed, and, and the idea was that I borrowed more than I needed, and I'd pay for the shed and pay it back. Yeah. Anyway, um, the electric board messes around for how long it needed to be before you could you could tell us what what solar panels we could have. By which time, Oakfield said, "Look, we'll give you a contract for storing grain. That'll cover your your shed, your payment for your shed." So I put the shed up with a five-year payback on the contract for. Um, Storing the grain as we got the shed nearly up, the electric board come back and said, Yeah, you can put this much on. So we had to put the solar panels on then in 10 days before we filled the shed. Oh, wow. So we ended up with like the solar farm and a commercial grain store. It's like nearly two separate bits of diversification running back to back. Then um, opened a small animal, animal hotel at the farm that I rented. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it was it was a business for my ex-girlfriend, actually. Well, she wasn't my ex at the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's very generous, my ex-girlfriend set up. So it, it made really good use of the buildings because it didn't cost a lot to set up. And I didn't want to spend too much on these buildings that, that I didn't own the asset. Yeah. So I, I set up this pet hotel and it was really successful. And I think it took 37 grand in its first year. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, Fooling the money are easily parted. So, you know, like one person used to have a pigeon just come and stay when she was going on holiday. She's fucking nuts. Someone else was getting the, the house done up and didn't want the builders letting the rabbit, the house rabbit out. Yeah. That lived there for six months. Oh, wow. Like two and a half thousand pound fucking rabbit. <gasps> wow. So, yeah, so was, there was there's that. And then um, we've used to do a lot of composting. Oh, right. The legislation changed around composting. Yeah. We changed tack and started chipping it for biomass. So I used to sell a lot of biomass to, to Jenkinsons and Stobart. So we'd oh, take yeah. in, in off tree surgeons and then and then hire Jenkinsons in to chip it and then sell it to them. Anyway, oh. we when all this sort of like biomass thing was coming about where you could get RHI grants and stuff. You still there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I put I spent half a million quid on a biomass boiler. Oh wow. For drying floors to, to dry um all the grain and drying the wood chips. So now instead of selling it for like four pound a ton, I can sell it for forty-four pound a ton. Wow! So it comes in, we chip it, and then dry it out and, and sell it. it. It's there's a cost to chipping it and running our own chipper, which is borderline whether it's worth it. But okay. it provides employment for one of the lads. So that, that's what we do with that. I used to do a lot of contracting as well for the local authority, but when they got skinted, I moved out of that. <laughs> yeah, if they weren't. Uh... Okay. Yeah, and so, then the latest project now is this This farmer managed to buy um, it's going to be student accommodation with room for a pony Oh right so oh. 70,000 students in Liverpool and a lot of them well not a lot of them Oh What a few of my horses so even just a pet course each year has 20 people with horses on it each year Oh right And they're there for five years so the idea is try and tap into them and give them an apartment with a, with a stable and a paddock because you have to feed your horse seven days a week but you only have to go to uni four or five yeah so if you go into uni and you've got a horse it's a problem because you've got to either pay full livery or or get your mum and dad to look after it or someone else or sell it but if you can take it with you it doesn't really cost you any more money no 
I can charge them the same the city centre price for an apartment for for one of the sticks, and they can basically have a free stable. So how far are you? Buy the, the hay and, hay and straw off me. So yeah, that sounds a cracking idea. That's what I'm working on at the moment, and then obviously this this private dog walking field as well as another project that will make use of the two acres that we don't really do anything with. Yeah, and I think that's a really useful idea for, you know, people who've got these sort of big dogs that, you know, maybe can't be let off the lead or even then for elderly people who can drive out and just let them off and have a good run, isn't it, without worrying about having yeah, to walk too it's far a big and things. Thing. I mean, we take it for granted being on a farm, but mm. for some people it's, it's it's money well spent spending a tenner to let the dog run around for an hour and yeah. be relaxed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, definitely not to worry about any of the dogs as well because, you know, I don't know, I see a lot of dog walkers and some of them are quite nervous with their dogs about other dogs. So to have that safe place that they know it's just them or them and their mates is, uh, yeah, I think uh, I've heard of quite a few people doing it as well or looking into it, certainly. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I I, I was telling someone else about it. And he's like, oh, I know someone that does that. He mm. said um, it's the best thing he's ever done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I've only so. listened recently in the last few months heard of this. And I thought, wow, what a great idea. Certainly if you're near a um, populated area as well. Well, that's it. That's yeah. what's all around us. And that's why the offices work so well as well. Yeah. You know, we can, they can have, they can not have to travel into the city centre and get stuck in the traffic. They can just come down some rural roads and into a quiet setting and have an office in a farm conversion. Which Much nicer, especially, uh, isn't it? Um, so so nice what sort setting. of... What age were you when you took a, have you taken over the business or are you partner or you know when did you um, you said you sort of the first time you borrowed that money was that based on a partnership or yeah it probably was a partnership I mean it still is a partnership really because my mum and dad are still on twenty four percent because it helps with the tax <laughs> oh, okay <laughs> um, it's proper complicated because I've got I've, I've bought land personally I've bought a farm personally and then. Oh, uh, okay. Borrowing in my name, joint name, oh, it's dead complicated. But yeah, my mum and dad technically are still partners. But um, but I mean, from from leaving school, really, I've been the, the decision maker. I've been lucky, really, that they've, they've kind of let me get on with it. I mean, I'm about to be a salesman and sell my ideas, but I've always managed to. <laughs> and were they? Um, were they? Whose farm was it? Was it your dad's? Was it your mum's? Was it a family farm? It, it was my dad's, um, yeah. so, well, it was, yeah, my me, me dad, me dad, sorry, my granddad on my dad's side farm with his brother, and then in 1985, um, my granddad died, and then my uncle wanted to retire, oh, okay. so they did sell off one farm and some land to buy my uncle out, and then my mum and dad had a small mortgage then on what's like what we call a home farm now, Yeah. and then it's, it's through that that I've obviously, yeah, I've been a collapse to borrow against as well so mm. i've been able to um, borrow against the assets and make them work harder for me but yeah talked to the bank manager yesterday i was up in the overdraft and like there's a joke with you if you owe the bank hundred thousand it's your problem if you owe a million quid it's there as well i talked to him yesterday as we were sorting out the overdraft because I, I have a few houses to rent out as well and yeah all the tenants now have got no money so they don't uh. want to pay the rent which is fine i understand but I've had to up my overdraft by 50k and the oh, bank God. manager was laughing going I took over your account six years ago you had 540,000 pounds worth of borrowing now you've got 3.4 million. Oh wow <laughs> it's those numbers I can't comprehend when it comes to farming and like the investments um 
I don't let it work. Maybe it's their problem, not mine. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's just they, they need me more than I need them now. So yeah. they, to be honest, like they, they do the part of our business. You know, like mm. the bank manager that we've got now is the same age as me. He lives up the road. And oh, I was wow. a bit worried when they told me that the other guy was retiring. This this new lad only lived up the road, but we've become great friends, like oh, in business good. and out of business, and yeah. it just works because I'm not scared to ring him up and say, "Do you know what? I freaking owe a fortune here. I need the overdraft up in." Yeah. It's just you know, and he he, he just knows everything about it and I found this on eBay. Can you uh, can you sort me out bats and the money across? You know, I just <laughs> it just it works and that's that and oh, that's good. Know, we, we just work together. Yeah. And was it um like when you did come back from home from school, was it that your dad had he been treated the same by his father then that he was given that responsibility? Um and, you know, the trust and the sell me your ideas and we'll see if they're you know or is I don't it... want to slag my dad off, but he's he's not a forward thinker at all. He just he just carried on doing what he was always doing, and yeah. whether it was making money or not, he yeah he doesn't he doesn't understand business really. My dad no. So but... he, he when my uncle retired, my dad sort of like farming on his own. I don't know for about ten years, but mm. you know we, we weren't making any money. He was just doing the same as he's always done. And markets had changed, and we were growing potatoes for for sort of fruit and veg shops and things well they were disappearing the supermarkets were wiping them out and yeah you know it's we were we were keeping cows because we always kept cows you know and they weren't making any money either and you know we were plowing because we'd always plowed yeah um, just the way it's always done so do yeah. you do you think then he was um you know maybe secretly or openly like just quite not relieved but just like oh you know with you coming in with your ideas and it seems like you're you're very dynamic and you're thinking and the opportunities and what have you that you're making for yourself. Could he? I don't know, really. I mean, like my mum says, oh, he's really proud because we argue like hell still. Because he'll come out now, I'll give the lads a load of jobs to do. Then he'll come out and like nick one of the machines they're using because he needs to do something that <laughs> he thinks is a priority when it's not. Yeah. You know, so there's always massive rounds of that with him interfering. Or if I'm out doing some NFU stuff, he'll have ended up freaking pissing all the lads off that much that they've gone home. <laughs> so I go mad with my mum. So you're gonna to have to keep him in the house, and yeah, you know, it's like, oh, he's really proud of you, but he don't freaking see the old picture. No, so like, it's all like communication. So like, we have a we have a WhatsApp group now with him in. So if anything changes, I put it in that, so he knows. Uh, so rather than me just going ringing up whichever member of staff I want to do something differently, that's I'll put then. it in that, so he knows why I've told him to do that something differently. Yeah, so that helps a bit, but. Sometimes you're in a hurry and it doesn't happen that way around. No. And then we have another WhatsApp group called Keep the Peace where everyone's in it bar my dad. <laughs> so it'd be like, you can't do that now because he's going to go nuts because he doesn't understand. Just do it this way around. And it'll freaking oh, keep the peace. Yeah. So. Oh, families, hey? <laughs> yeah. Never work with children, animals, or families. Yeah, with your dad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so. at least, at least, well, yeah. Animals don't answer you back. They just don't do what you, they, they, you ask them to do most of the time. <laughs> yeah, that's that. So, oh. anyway, I better let you get on with your day. Yeah. No, well, thank you <laughs> so much. Long enough, have I? <laughs> no, I find it really interesting. That's uh, that's part of the problem. And it's like, oh god, I've got to try and edit it all down now because it's. Uh, no, I could. Uh, I know you like what you're doing. I had no idea you were doing all of this stuff. It's really interesting and. Are you yeah. not, you're not on Twitter, are you? No, no. I, are you on Facebook? I'm on Instagram. Oh, right. Are you? I've got you on Instagram. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, I think I'm agri-contract on Instagram. 
What are you? I agree. I've been doing my daily blogs, haven't I? <laughs> oh, have you? Yeah, yeah. So... Oh, there you are. There we go. I'll follow yeah. you. The only problem with Instagram is you can only put a minute longer. No, you have to go live. And then it, you, right. and then you can add that to your story. Ah, right. Because I I'm just. Not sure how you do it. Yeah, if you go up to you know your picture on the top left corner. Yeah. And then click that. You can go to live, and that does a live recording, and then you can add, it just adds it automatically to your. Well, what if you've already recorded it? Yeah. Oh, then you can do IGTV. So on your 